Uh, are we good to start recording? Yeah. Uh, why don't you please introduce yourself? Uh, Alex Tardy with uh, NOAA National Weather Service, office based out of San Diego. I'm a meteorologist. Well, thanks for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so we are going to talk about the end of Cat's Cradle and one of the more striking imagery, striking images in at the end of the novel is the sky filled with tornadoes that Vonnegut describes as being filled with worms, just all as far as the eye can see. Uh, is that an accurate depiction of how the world would end? Uh, to me, that comes in mind is a movie out of Hollywood when I think of... Uh tornadoes all over the place that look like worms hanging out of the tree. I would say it's pretty safe to say um, in most scenarios, if not all, that the world's not going to end with, with uh, hundreds of violent tornadoes everywhere. Tornadoes are a very micro-scale process and actually very difficult to form. So if the oceans froze in the way that they did, there would be a massive and sudden pressure and humidity drop. That, is that correct? Uh, if the oceans froze, and taking a look at the world itself, that'd be about 80% of our um, land. That, that's a lot of coverage of, of our space. So if the oceans froze, yeah, we would see a lot of changes. And, and one of those changes would be uh, with our atmosphere. So when you remove the ocean, um, you're actually going to cut off your uh, flow of moisture or transport of moisture. And that could be from a hurricane to a storm, to even a tornado. So very quickly, once you froze the ocean, you're not going to have the ability to create a tornado hmm. or any type of um, atmospheric circulation. And what you're going to end up getting is uh, more extremes. So your polar regions would probably get colder pretty quickly, and your regions around the equator, because of the sun angle, depending on the time of the year, are going to get really hot, uh, meaning the land, hot, dry, and stale. I think you'd still have a pretty significant uh, jet stream, and that's what brings storms around the world. But you're not going to have, because um, the jet stream is caused by a gradient between cold to the north, warm to the south. So you're going to still have that belt around the earth that transports wind or storms. But you're going to quickly run out of a moisture source so you're not going to have it. I would imagine it would be more like some of the storms you might have in Mars, perhaps, where you have a lot of wind, mm. but you don't have a lot of substance to it. Clouds, you just have dust and wind, mostly. Uh, so in the um, the novel, in, they're on San Lorenzo, the island, the fictional island in the Caribbean, uh, when everything, you know, when the ice nine hits the water. Uh, so you're saying the description that Vonnegut put out is that it was dry, hot, and hot, but with lack of wind. So that's kind of a more accurate description of what that area would look like in the Caribbean. Yeah, when I got into that part, I mean, I was kind of lost in the beginning um, with trying to imagine freezing 80% of the earth, especially using a freezing level or point of 40 Celsius. So <laughs> the amount of substance that would be required... Um, over that amount of square uh, square miles would just be tremendous. Because part of the atmosphere uh, would freeze, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, because the ocean and the atmosphere are actually coupled together in most instances, and that's how we get storms. So when you try to decouple that and separate it, separate it, you affect the atmosphere. Obviously, you affect the terrain, the land that we live on. But assuming the sun is still doing its normal thing and assuming the earth is still rotating... 
I think, you know, the jet stream would hold together for the most part, become more extreme. But, yeah, as far as the land goes, I think because you're freezing an ocean, especially near the equator, at such a high uh, threshold, high, high temperature, you would have uh, very hot, probably inhabitable temperatures over the land, assuming the sun was still at the same angle mm. and the earth was still rotating. Um, so you're going to need the earth to still rotate because then you're only going to heat one part of the earth and the other part's probably going to end up freezing uh, because it's in the shadow. So it would be, I've never been to Mars or planets like that, but <laughs> I, I imagine based on what I've read, it's going to become more extreme like that where uh, it's almost unhabitable um, when the sun is out because of the extreme temperatures and almost just unhabitable because of extreme cold at night. So as there's no more water rising from the seas due to convection, uh, the atmosphere overall wouldn't get cooler. It would get warmer in certain places because of the sun. Yeah, because of the, the distribution of heat. So, so moisture can do a, a lot of things. Um, it can take away and add heat to the atmosphere. With a lack of moisture, um, your ambient temperature, the temperature that we feel, has the ability to rocket high and to and to also get really cold as well when you don't have the sun's effect. So you still have the convective processes that will go on over the land, and actually they'll probably be quite violent in terms of up and down motion of the air. But without having the ocean involved, um, it, it's going to be very low. It, it's probably going to look something, maybe what they're trying to, to display is more like dust devils everywhere. Hmm. Dust devils. Because when, when you have a dust devil on an average day with sun, it typically occurs when you have calm conditions. It doesn't have to be calm, but light winds. And dust devils are formed by differential heating. So in other words, the surface of the land getting too hot in one area and slightly cooler or a lot cooler in another area. And the air changes pressure, density currents because of that. So the warm air gets lower pressure. And so the air will try to rush to that lower pressure to kind of fill it in, to balance it. Basically, weather is all about balancing the atmosphere in the ocean. That's hmm. all it is. You're trying to reach an equilibrium, and you're never going to get it. Never going to get it. Because you have the ocean, you have the sun, you have the earth. And so I could see potentially a, a dust devil scenario, which is you know technically not tornadoes. No, not tornadoes. Yeah. But maybe uh, he uh, aggrandized dust devils a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what is the probability of there being more hailstorms as opposed to tornadoes? That was one thing that was absent from the book that I found a little surprising considering how much, if, if Ice Nine is going to be freezing water that's in the atmosphere, you would assume that there would be some hail. Um, so not knowing specifically what it's capable of doing, so there would be a big difference between freezing water vapor in the atmosphere versus freezing the ocean, which is a liquid. So if you were to freeze the water vapor in the air, um, it would precipitate out and typically in very tiny particles. So it wouldn't be like the hail that you and I talk about. Hmm. In order to get hail growth, you have to, um, first you have to have the convective air rising, which we may have over the land, but you also need to have condensation and a nuclei, you need some type of focus to collect and um, accumulate that ice. And then the ice becomes too heavy 
for the air rising and then falls out as what we call hail. Um, again, I think moisture, severe lack of moisture, especially relatively quickly in this process, would be your limiting factor with hail. And then when you don't have hail and don't have much ice in your actual convection or rising air, you also suffer from not having um, lightning. Hmm. Um, switching gears a little bit, um, one of the uh, repeating themes uh, at the end of the novel is that there's no radio broadcasts. They send out an SOS and they don't receive anything back. They're not able to get anything on their handheld radios. Uh, that seems to me that, that would, there would be false. Wouldn't there be an automated message at the very least that would go out? Well, um, I mean, not trying to dig too deep for what they're trying to get at. Um, again, going back to like the change of the atmosphere in this scenario, it's definitely going to affect frequencies, especially certain bands of frequencies like AM, mm-hmm. potentially even FM. Um, so like ham radio operators know very well when they're trying to communicate uh, to someone around the world that atmospheric conditions are a big, big, uh, it's either an inversion that either propagates the signal further or it's trapping the signal, causing it to actually come back to the earth. In their case, they want it to propagate up into the ionosphere or outside of the atmosphere so that they can really communicate far. With, with the lack of moisture in the atmosphere, moisture is a big ingredient on how things propagate whether they propagate well or poor. Mm -hmm. Um, Moisture can trap radar beams that we look at for weather. For example, if you have an atmospheric inversion with temperature, that's one thing. If you have an atmospheric um, issue where it gets increasingly dry as you go up, that can also affect your radio waves. So perhaps they were having um, severe communication challenges largely due to the inherent changes to the atmosphere. So the big question um, is how long could humans realistically survive? If we no longer have a suitable environment, if we no longer have the atmosphere as we know it, is it realistic that humans could survive for at least six months as they do at the end of this book? Uh, Given the scenario of of completely... So basically you're taking the oceans out of the equation. Oceans are something we don't... Uh, typically appreciate um, even locally San Diego would be as hot as Palm Springs on a daily basis if it wasn't for the ocean hmm. when I tell someone that they're like well it's because the sun's different or because we're at a latitude different no no it, the only reason why our climate here in San Diego is as nice as it is temperate is because we have an air conditioner called the Pacific Ocean and the only reason why the Pacific Ocean is cool in our part of the world is because of the uh, Japanese and California cold currents that, that come down, just the way the ocean is, is naturally circulating. So when you remove the oceans from the equation, uh, it's not going to be pretty. And I imagine it's going to be a scenario like Mars or Mercury where you still have storms and you still have wind and you have whatever, dust devils or things like that that are caused by thermal differences and, and convective warm air rising when the sun's out. It, I can't imagine um, the ability to live that long without the ocean, to be honest with you. Um, it's going to depend on, on uh, yeah, I mean, you'd have to, 
there's certain species and certain plants and vegetation uh, that, you know, that is resilient and adaptable. But with a sudden change like that, no, I, I, I cannot. Personally, as a scientist, I could not see that being possible uh, because you're going to run out of many things, including rainwater. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely a bit of fantasy <laughs> that's at the end of the novel. Yeah. <laughs> um, so switching gears a little bit, I want to tackle um, a big question, which is, does San Diego have weather? Yeah, so part of why San Diego is so popular as a tourist destination, um, expensive to live, um, millions visit each year, three and a half million live in San Diego County alone, is because of the weather or the light, the nice weather. So we live in a Mediterranean semi-arid climate. Semi-arid means uh, we have a season that's mostly dry. And for us, that's uh, the spring, summer, and fall. And we do get most of our rain chances come in the winter. So our weather comes in different shapes and sizes. Um, wind would be a, a factor that we have real weather. And that could be Santa Ana wind. That could be windstorms from the Pacific. I mean, just, just last year, we had a couple wind events where it was 60 mile per hour, even in downtown San Diego, broke glass and, and skyscrapers and knocked down hundreds of trees in Chula Vista. So we do have real weather in terms of that, um, even canceled the PGA golf event. But, but we have weather in terms of wind coming off the Pacific. Um, Santa Ana would be wind coming in off the desert, so opposite. Um, the other type of weather we have that's common, uh, for us at least, would be flooding rain. Since we have a semi-arid climate, we have very few chances to get a lot of rain. And often the rain will come in what we call an atmospheric river. It'll come in three or four days. Uh, like in December 2010, we had five inches of rain of 48 hours. Uh, February 28th of last year, 2017 we had about three and a half inches of rain in 24 hours. Hmm. And the other thing is that the rain doesn't have to always occur in San Diego. Since the San Diego River flows to the ocean, the rain often occurs over our mountains. And in that case, I talked about February 28th, Palomar Mountain had nine, nine inches of rain. And that all flowed down, and San Diego had quite a bit of flooding in Mission Valley, actually third highest stage of the river on record. So flooding... Wind are true scenarios that prove we get, you know, real weather. Um, the other type of real weather that we get here is non-weather. And what I mean by that is it's heat, drought, and severe fire danger. The only reason why fires would get out of control in our area is because of weather. And that would be too much wind or temperatures too hot. So when you think of weather, the first thing that doesn't come up is probably heat. Um, heat's, heat's a problem in San Diego, not just in the deserts, but in our, in our coastal areas. Last year, 80 of our schools closed for multiple days because they didn't have either adequate air conditioning or enough air conditioning, and classrooms were getting in the upper 80s. Hmm. Uh, so, severe. Uh, that could be severe. Heat's the number one killer in the world. Tailing off of that, um, in collaboration with the National Weather Service, San Diego recently put out a call for action to prevent further climate change. It's called San Diego 2050 is calling. How will we answer? Uh, and this is a pretty thorough report. Um, I want to jump, though, to page seven, where it kind of gives an overview about 
the issues that we're facing in San Diego uh, currently, in, how they will only get worse if things continue the way that they're going. It talks about water resources, coastal flooding, wildfires, uh, nature's benefits, and our personal health. Can you talk at all about this? Yes. So in our region, um, and it goes along with starting with water, um, goes along with the drought scenario. So in long-range climate projections, um, even given a conservative carbon um, footprint, so in other words, let's say we don't increase our, our production of, of carbon or fossil fuels, and it, and it just kind of flat, flat lines, and so we don't, um, don't keep accelerating the amount that we send into the atmosphere. So with a relatively conservative approach, we're likely going to see um, more extreme dry periods. When it does rain, more heavy rain. But what this means is difficult to manage. When it rains hard and heavy, as a meteorologist, it's kind of fun, great to see, look at all that water flowing, but it's hard to manage it. Most of it goes back out to the ocean. When you have dry periods in the middle of January, February, when normally you should have a little bit of rain, uh, you have a scenario where it's more difficult to manage the water. Because you have to, in California especially, it's a battle between flood control and water supply. Flood control, water supply, back at its give and take. So you don't want to release water and then not have enough for your farmers for drinking water. And then you don't want to hold too much water and then cause flooding because you can't hold back uh, any more water and you have to release it. In San Diego, it's particularly challenging because 60% of our water comes from the Colorado River. 60% comes from the Colorado River. Only about 15% is local in our above-ground water storage. And really, that includes the desal plant in Carlsbad. Uh, and then another about 20% or so comes down from the Sierra Nevada through the California aqueduct. So being able to manage that is, is critical. And, you know, with 2050, you know, suggesting and, and projecting with the long-range forecasting is... Um, we're going to have to come up with other ways to do it, more conservation, uh, more efficiency, more recycling, more toilet to tap, uh, other sources of water, whether that be desalinization or um, bigger reservoirs. I don't know all the answers, but it's going to have to be more management, and it's, it's costly. And it's not just a matter of flipping a check either and paying for more or bigger items. It's well, a big it's deal. But it's kind of great because it seems that a lot of organizations in San Diego are on board with this deal. It's not just uh, your office, but it's also Scripps Institute of Oceanography. Uh, there looks like there is the San Diego Foundation, the National Science Foundation is helping to fund uh, part of this. So it does appear that there's a lot of San Diego um, based organizations that are on board with doing the best they can. The metro system uh, they've got representatives in here. The they've even got private partners from, sorry everyone, uh, from Qualcomm from the San Diego Convention Center. It just there looks like San Diego is a bit on board. So I would encourage people to check out more about getting involved with 2050. How are we going to manage this? One of the things that this report highlights, though, is the wildfires, um, and it states that wildfire seasons may be longer and more extreme with warming temperatures, drier soils and vegetation and less frequent rains. Now you're already talking about how we're not getting most of our water 
from this area. So what potent like wildfires are a big threat here in San Diego and how can you talk a little bit more about how they may get worse? Sure. So uh, in the Cat's Cradle book, when we talked about, um, you know, there still would be a jet stream, but exactly where that jet stream would be is, is critical. And, and how it relates to this is that with, with climate change, with a warming planet, the jet stream likely would retreat on average further north. So in other words, that gives you less opportunity, less at-bats. Remember, we're semi-arid already. We're already a volatile climate. That gives you less chance to get involved in active rainfall because we don't get it from typically very rare, does happen, but very rare from tropical systems. We don't get it from like your daily thunderstorm like Florida. Our ocean's not warm enough for that. If the ocean were to get into the 80s, yes, we would have tropical storms. We would have daily thunderstorms in San Diego. But until that happens, um, with, with a gradual warming of the ocean and the land, the jet stream is going to retreat further north. And that means uh, drier periods, and that directly relates to fire danger. Fires burn. If, if you've ever tried to build a campfire when you're a kid or adult, and it won't start, you're like, what am I doing wrong? Well, if you're trying to burn a wet log, that's probably what you're doing wrong. It's not going to burn. Um, if you have no oxygen for it, wind, you know, they always teach you blow on it. You know, to me as a kid, that seemed counterintuitive. I'm going to blow it out. But fires love wind. They love dry air. They love dry fuels. All that would be plenty abundant, longer periods of time, maybe year round. Um, if you go through longer stretches of drought and longer stretches of not having precipitation. Now the key with a lot of this is the Santa Ana wind. So, to really get a fire out of control, where uh, UI, all our resources, you know, really can't do much to battle it, we just got to let it burn out. To get a, a, a big Santa Ana wind event, you're going to have probably less Santa Ana wind events when your jet stream retreats north, because they're all driven by storms going by to our north. So if you make those storms go by 100 kilometers further north or, or 100 miles further north, you're going to be less in that shadow of that wind, and you're probably going to have less, likely have less Santa Ana wind events. But the ones you do get are going to be critical when they occur, how they occur, and how strong they are. Because remember, your conditions are going to be more volatile, more susceptible to these fires. And, and always the one thing to remember with fires is you need to start. So fires don't just spontaneously, just like they seem they do, but they don't just spontaneously occur. You need that campfire. You need a lightning strike. You need that lawnmower. You, and, and so the more we try to prevent those, um, the, the less likely you have, you know, the wildfire or, or the start. But as we're seeing just in the past year, there's always something else. There is a power line. There is something that goes wrong. And when your conditions, like we saw last December, are, are just as dry as they can get. Remember, the drought of 2012 and 16 um, dates back to 1400 A.D., uh, when you look at tree rings, when you factor in temperature and drought. The thing that doesn't get talked much about drought is temperature. So all those scenarios set our stage for worst wildfire conditions potentially. We're going to end a bit, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to end a bit on a fun note. Um, so going back to the science fiction part of Cat's Cradle, um, 
a lot of the research that was put into the fictional universe of Cat's Cradle is based on real research that happened during World War II. Uh, Irving Langmuir uh, tried to create artificial clouds, which would help screen ships from attack during the war. Uh, and he did this using cloud seeding, uh, which is in part what inspired Ice Nine. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the U.S. attempts to manipulate weather for warfare? Um, I can't speak directly for Department of Defense, uh, of which, which that implies. Um, I do know a few things um, that are non-government involved, and it typically relates to drought and water. Um, cloud seeding is real. Um, water districts um, across the country, especially in Colorado, actively pay uh, to fund research and deploy cloud seeding. Uh, so basically, you know, you're putting a, we go back to what we talked about, you know, probably 10 minutes ago uh, when you mentioned hail. So in order to get precipitation, you have to have a nuclei for the water vapor to condense on it and form a raindrop. Okay. And usually that's um, volcanic ash, sea salt, pollution, um, anything in the atmosphere that you and I typically can't see can act as a nuclei, some particle, okay? So you can get growth on it, form a raindrop, it's too heavy, it falls. And so the idea behind cloud seeding is add more nuclei into the atmosphere, and in theory, mathematically, you get more raindrops, and it's more efficient. It's proven to work. Um, you know, you might get 10, 15% more efficiency with it. It's very expensive. Um, Here's the catch, though, and here's the complete misunderstanding, uh, including in San Diego area. You can't cloud seed on a day where the atmosphere is sinking. So when you have high pressure, dry air, clear skies, or you have an inversion in the atmosphere, cloud seed all you want. You're not forming precipitation. Those cloud seeds are going to come right back down, or they're going to get stuck in the inversion and then get carried away and then fall down. You have to cloud seed in a storm. You have to cloud seed when precipitation is already occurring, whether it be a hurricane, a Pacific cyclone, a cold front. Um, you're going you're to be greatly disappointed if you set up this big project and try to cloud seed under high pressure. When the, atm the atmosphere is much smarter than big that. Big expensive project. Oh, yeah. It's much smarter than that. Um, when it comes to like military activity, um, here's kind of a fun tidbit. Um, so our weather radar, uh, you're talking about shielding yourself from the enemy. Uh, our weather radars across the country pick up lots of different false echoes. We pick up airplane, we pick up uh, haze, dust, birds, bats, bees, um, and they show up. They don't show up looking like a bird, bat, bee. They just show up as like clutter on the radar. Yeah. And when aircraft uh, training around San Diego or any part of the country are flying around, they drop uh, particles to practice hiding from enemy radar. So they make themselves look like rain or look like something in the atmosphere. And it shows up and it looks like rain on our radar. But as trained meteorologists, we know it's not rain. As an untrained person on, a, on an aircraft, um, you know, it will cause problems because the aircraft can fly through that and become undetected. Um, so that's you know one thing that the military does, and it's old school technology, and they can do that effectively and actively 
and they can disguise the atmosphere as rain and fly their aircraft through, and you can't see the aircraft because it's blending in with the so-called precipitation. So rather than manipulate the weather, they're camouflaging themselves with weather. Yeah, camouflage would be a a good way to do it. Um, If someone can manipulate the weather, um, like, you know, like maybe make a storm weaker or, or make a drought form in Southern California or bring a hurricane into Florida. Um, good luck with that. They're probably going to be either multi-billionaires or in big trouble. Um, it's, just, uh, it, it's just not something scientifically uh, significantly uh, achievable, that type of thing. You know, it's like it's small, small increments even cloud seeding which does work mm-hmm. the reward and the payoff and the effort is is a very low percentage um, when you come down to measuring how much more rain occurs cloud seed versus non-cloud seed okay yeah well thank you for that that was perfect thank, thank for you joining thanks us, for having me on yeah